Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Twins Talk Theater. Today we have Shara Abavi, who I met doing Tenor by Night. Uh, she was the lighting designer with me on Tenor by Night. She is the resident lighting designer and production manager for the Malibu Playhouse out here in Los Angeles. She's also a freelance lighting designer and projection designer around LA and becoming more international, uh, moving, you know, wherever the jobs are and and jumping around. So welcome to the podcast, Shara. Hello, hello. So one thing we usually ask to uh, start, because we don't, uh, I don't know if you listen to the podcast, we don't do like question and answer things. It's more of an open conversation. So uh-huh. we usually start with, how did you get into theater? Oh, that's, um, you know, the standard had too much energy. My parents had to find a summer camp. They threw me in, <laughs> <Usually> <laughs> they threw as an, me actor. in an improv camp and nice. clown classes. You know, uh, and it kind of just took off from there. I got really used to the environment. I actually was um, a part of the Coterie Camp, which is like one of the leading nation's children's camps or children's theaters. It's in Kansas City. Um, So I started out there and I just, I really liked it. But what I liked most was when I was in improv shows, um, our improv director would hit the blackout button at the end of the scene and I really 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 wanted that blackout button to come sooner so I (laughs) I wanted to be the person to control that blackout button (laughs) I like it so if you just get tired of people you just hit the blackout button exactly I wanted that control (laughs) that's a very good I just I just I just ran the whiteboard for the show that I just did and so Uh I had that control and it's a lot of power like do I take an extra breath before I hit the blackout do I hit the blackout a little bit early? Like, how long do we sit in the dark before I bring up the bow cue? It's like the most difficult part of the show. Right. Com- coming from it's, a stage a manager like- who calls those. Right. It's like playing an instrument. Like, you have to take breaths before them. You have to mm-hmm. read the notes. You have to read the pa- uh, words on the pages. And you really mm-hmm. have to feel it, you know? Yes. Yes, I agree. All of that. <laughs> nice. So then you wanted the control of the blackout button, but for a while you did stage management. So that was like even more control of blackouts and buttons. So well, that that kind of happened by mistake a little bit. It was more so I was just um, the person who had hired me as a stage manager just liked how I worked with the cast and the crew and how organized I was being. I had some professional stage management training. So he had asked me to take on my first show as a stage manager was Rent at the Saban. So it was it was like, you know, zero to 100 miles an hour real fast. And, yeah. <laughs> and I liked it. It's definitely, it doesn't, doesn't uh, do what lighting design does for me. Um, but I definitely like it. Uh, it's just not the creativity that I, I enjoyed in lighting design. So I did uh, Rent, which was an extreme, extremely hard show to do for a first-time stage manager. It was a non-equity show, thankfully. But 
Well, at least you didn't have to get all the equity rules and scheduling and timing and how many hours a week they can work. Right. And it was a very large cast, but I actually did a pretty good job and I really enjoyed it. Um, And so I just kept doing it and I started doing it for tours and I started doing it for regional tours and national tours and still doing it today. (laughs) (laughs) Do you find... um... I can't remember if I've asked somebody else this. I ask a lot of people this. Do you find being a lighting designer and a stage manager kind of help each other out a little bit? Because in in my opinion, as a stage manager, it's kind of the the designer and, and the, the group of people that you have the most communication with because you are calling the lighting designers cues and you're kind of like, you have to work so closely with a lighting designer to make those cues happen on time. So do you find it beneficial to like be on both sides? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, as a lighting designer or designer in general, your communication with the stage manager is absolutely imperative. I mean, you have to have a relationship with your stage manager. If you don't, they're not going to feel where you're going. They're not going to be able to almost read your thoughts while you're in tech. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's one of the most important things, um, especially to make a tech process just go smoothly, is being able to communicate with your stage manager. Mm-hmm. And then being able to communicate with you effectively and just understanding how they're writing their paperwork, how they're um, building their prompt books and what mm-hmm. they need to complete their tasks. So it definitely helps. Um, it also helps a lot to be a personal, per- like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, collaborative. And stage managers have the ability to just talk to people they know how to get what they need they know how to tell people what they need um so that skill definitely came in handy as a lighting designer i know it definitely came in i know it definitely came in handy when we were doing tinder by night at the rose because uh i was having some (laughs) difficulty with the house guy there and shara walked in and was like oh it's perfectly fine and she like schmoozed him up and got control of the light board which apparently that never happens and I was like great you you go over there and talk to him I'm gonna stay down here (laughs) well yeah I mean being being a friendly person definitely helps and being um easygoing but knowing how to get what you want while still being a nice person and making people feel like they're valued to you they are valued Mm -hmm. but making people believe that you're part of their team. You know, you're an ally, you're not their enemy. And, you know, it's like the old saying, like, not the actor's old saying, but uh, it's like what we do for union shows is we bring donuts to the crew because we want them to like us. The more the crew likes us and the house crew likes us, the harder they work, the more willing they are going to be to accommodate our needs. And so I just bring that to every venue I go to and... You know, I rarely have trouble with them. Cindy brings uh, coffee and and chocolate. Almost, we are exactly the same on all of this. (laughs) (laughs) Except I've never uh, professionally lit a show, but yeah, everything is. I always have like the best communication with everybody, and especially with lighting designers. But I also always bring donuts and coffee to crew. And uh, the the last crew I worked with actually said that they'd never felt like. 
uh, an actual person before, you know, they said, you treat us like we actually matter. And I was like, well, you do matter because we're making the show happen. I'm like, I'm sorry, you've never felt that before, but you do matter. So um, it makes me question how people go in and treat crews sometimes is, is they act like they've never been treated this way. And you're like, there's some etiquette lessons that need to happen. (laughs) Yes. No, I absolutely agree. Cause it's just amazing. You know, the way that, that crews are treated and then, and then you wonder why people have such a hard time with them. I've never had a hard time with the crew, but I've always treated them as actual people who are important to the process because they are. Yeah. I mean, that said, Stacy came in with, uh, there's already a stigma attached with it. And so it was yeah. a little difficult to overcome that. So <laughs> she kind of had yeah. the short end of the stick already. <laughs> so I let Shar be the good guy and I was just the bad guy being like, damn it, do something. <laughs> I know, I got you guys so many things just by shooting. Uh-huh. It's like, Shar, can you please go ask for another hour here? Because I don't want to talk to him. <laughs> right. But it worked. I realized that Shara was the one who could get things done. And so I turned to Shara and said, please... You do it. I know. <laughs> I, I, I bat my eyelashes and I put my hands in the praying possession. I say, please, please, please. <laughs> and it works. Perfect. It does. Sometimes. To some people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it got us through that show. So that that was excellent. <laughs> yeah. So that, how did you get into projection design from lighting and stage management? So I actually started stage management uh, several years after I had started lighting design and projection design. It came way later. Projection design uh, happened at about the same time as lighting design. Uh, I went to college. uh, My university was one of the first universities offering a degree for projection design. Oh, nice. What school is that? I think the other one was Yale at the time. So Yale does a lot. So what school did you go to? University of Missouri, Kansas City. Okay. And uh, I had worked with Another alumni there, Jeff Cady, who the first show he threw me on as a projection designer, or not designer, but a projection operator, was Harriet Jacobs with the Kansas City Rep. This first first show, first professional credit I had done, I was like a freshman in college. And that was the first show I did. It was two uh, moving head projectors, uh, some Christie's. It was on Green Hippo. So my first launch into projection design was like, you know, top of the line gear for that time um, and Green Hippo, which has a very steep learning curve. And I don't know that one. Is that a, an operating program? It's a, yeah, it's a projection server and uh, editing program. Hmm. So my first show there, it was, it went pretty well. I think when I realized that I really wanted to learn a lot more about projections was when uh, the moving head projectors randomly during one of the shows started to spin out of control. <laughs> and this is, this is like professional theater, by the way. I mean, there's like paying audiences, there's equity cast, there's, you know, Broadway designers on it. And these projectors start moving out of control during one of the most intense scenes, you know, like Harriet <laughs> Jacobs is in the attic writing letters, you know, uh, it's like about the underground railroad (laughs) these projectors start spinning her letters all over the set like well that's an interesting and that's when i realized that i needed to know more about projections so that i could make sure that these things don't happen uh fortunately that fortunately and, and unfortunately that was something that 
now I know was not really in my control is just kind of like, you know, system has a bug or freezes. So I just mm-hmm. uh, faded them out for that night. It was, and it was fine, but that kind of launched my interest in projections. I, um, you know, the first program I learned to use was green hippo and then Q lab became, uh, another major tool for me as a projection designer, uh, especially now it's a lot more user-friendly with video. Um, and then Archaos and Resolume, there's just, I mean, it's really exploded over the past 10 years. And so I'm kind of glad that I started out, you know, when Projections was just starting to come around. I don't know much about projection design because I feel like it's still fairly new in the theater world. For lighting design, you do the design and then you have a master electrician who hangs the lights and, you know, works with you to focus lights. On projections, I feel like they're, everything is you. Like you usually, you have to design everything and then also do the focus or mapping of the projection. Is that somewhat true? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the design process really starts out um, months in advance when you're you know, going over content with your directors and your scenic designers and other design fields. Um, you know, coming up with preliminary designs, uh, basically building your cues before you get to the space. And then the technical side of it is, you know, picking the right projector. So picking the right projector means picking the right lens that you need for the space, the distance that the projector needs to be, the size of the projector, the weight of the projector, where you're going to hang the projector, um, lumens output, um, if you need VGA, DVI, HDMI, hopefully you're only using one of those three. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And so there's, there's a lot of, actually, actually, there's a lot of math involved with it. Um, and the more you get used to it, the more, you know, that math just becomes something to, you know, check yourself every now and then. But, um, yeah, there's definitely a, um, you, you definitely want to do that before your, your tech process or else you're going to be spending a lot of time during tech trying to figure these things out. So your, your typical load end would be a few hours setting projector levels. Um, your masking, uh, one trick we use is we take a picture uh, of the set from the angle of the projector and then we figure out a masking that way. You know, you'll, you'll uh, build masking off that. Depending on what programs you're using, some programs will actually have masking programs in them that make that a lot easier. And when you say masking, are you talking about like physical um, legs and stuff in the theater? Or is there a way that you can do masking inside the projector or inside the actual programs? Yes, it's basically just like taking black blocks or shapes and covering things on the projector. So for instance, Stacy, that that head that we had for uh, Mannequin by, or Mannequin Man, um, Tender by Night, uh, we had used a mask over the giant head and basically to block it out so that there weren't any shadows or projections on it. It just yeah. allows us to control projections and, uh, you know, in, in rough environments or environments where we don't want projections on certain things, but we want projections on like mm-hmm. a, a back wall or something like that. So mm-hmm. like Cindy, when, when you guys were doing Faust, 
obviously if you just shoot a projection across the whole stage or i'm sure you guys had multiple projectors like it would get on the back wall and stuff so he he masked mm -hmm. it so that it just hit the walls and it didn't hit the house and that another projection didn't hit the screen behind it it stopped exactly where the wall stopped so that's the the masking yeah i never actually watched them build it during faust because most of it was already built so i just like showed up <laughs> and it was done it's awesome yeah much much easier <laughs> yeah it's like focusing lights. You know, you take your time, you're, you put in your shutter cuts and you place the light where you need it to go. It's, you know, same concept, different, different technology. Yeah. Only <laughs> a couple of computers. I mean, projectors instead of like a hundred lights. Right. Uh, with the projections and the lighting, since you do both, I don't know much about lumens, but I know when getting projectors, everyone's like, okay, 10 lumens is not quite strong enough to project through the lights because you're projecting light through light. So how do you kind of figure that out? Like how you said math, obviously, but how do you figure out how strong of a projector you need to get the resolution on the back psych or projection screen through the lights and everything on stage for people to see actors? So that's that you got to figure that out by measuring basically your distance from the stage to the projector, uh, the size of screen you're wanting to get out of the projector from that distance and your lens type, um, and then the lamp output on it. Um, and so lumens don't always, aren't always the, the thing that's going to tell you how strong your projector needs to be. Like, for instance, at the El Portal, they have a 10K projector. Um, and at the Rose, we used a 15K. Um, but because one is a lot closer than the other, it doesn't need to have need to be as strong. So the, the, the closer your projector is, the less um, output it needs to have to get that image across in the same way. Um, yeah, as far as the actual as math goes, I mean, I can pull out the, the formulas if you'd like, <laughs> <laughs> calculators and that sort of thing. <laughs> math is always you know, fun. Yeah. Uh, like, like, like lighting designers still use the Pythagorean theorem and stuff, that sort of thing. Oh, that was one of my favorites on twin. I had that one oh, memorized. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that was one of, <laughs> one of the few that you did and then I did the rest. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I know some people, uh, the show I'm working on right now at East West Players, they have three projectors, and I don't remember how many lumens each of them are, but he has three projectors overlapping each other. How do you map and get three projectors in different locations to all line up exactly? Like, does that take a long time of just, like, scooting over the image a little bit at a time? Uh, yes. 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 Uh <laughs> I feel like that's I mean, a lot of just like trial and error. <laughs> uh, it's not so much, I mean, yes, trial and error, but um, I mean, that's in any sort of design field, but yeah, you know, there, there are things where you, you can do, or depending on the program you're using, you can sync up, uh, you can kind of create layers and video surfaces that read it as one projector. And then you can warp edges or you can feather edges to blend in with each other. Um, I mean, warp and feathering are going to be your friends in that instance and keystoning and, um, just being able to manipulate that, that layer 
or that mask or that that surface. There's so many names for it, and depending on the program. <laughs> yeah, there's so much. Like I know the very very basics of it, and I know the basics of QLab, <laughs> and that's about right. the extent of my knowledge of projections. Uh, in your uh, was looking through your website on different things and you seem to do a lot of dance and because I know dance is very or what I consider quite different in the lighting world than just uh, like a play or something they seem to do uh -huh. a lot more side lights um, what what do you feel the differences are between like a straight play a musical and dance or is there much difference in the way that you go about figuring out the lighting design for that um it's very different. It's very different, but I think the the design process itself is very similar. Like, you know, you read the music, you listen to the music, you watch the choreography, and you let your emotions design that for you. You let your feelings design it. And then, you know, the standard processes to use are different. Like dance, sidelight is great because you want to accent those dancer muscles. I mean, they worked hard for those. You want to see those on stage. And it just helps um, helps them, like a dancer wants to swim through light. And if it's on their level, it's, you know, it's going to catch them in ways that are going to make them look beautiful. Um, and front light is not as uh, important for dance lighting because we don't necessarily need to see their face. We just want to see their bodies. And I've always done something where I like to design to the music more than anything. Um, I mean, the choreography is definitely very important, but uh, oftentimes for dance, you get to see like one rehearsal, but you'll have that music months in advance. So you want to get fam yourself familiar with the content that you're designing. Um, and so while you're designing to music and choreography and dance for theater, especially straight plays, um, you're designing the nuances of the script. You know, you're a character in a show almost. And so you're telling a story in a most subtle way and helping the audience understand what's happening in the story. Uh, and that's the same across the board, actually, is you're wanting to help tell that story with lighting. And that, you know, happens with dance, musical theater, and straight plays. But... Musical theater, I find, is not so much a combination of the of both, but it's it's got its own flavors. <laughs> it's I sometimes find it to be quite fun, uh, especially during musical numbers. You can kind of you know take it out of reality a little bit, or you mm -hmm. can you know pull in or you know change the mood a little bit to you know to show people what that that song is about. Another one that people always tend to forget is a little different too is is opera, and I find oh, yeah I was just gonna say about that yeah and opera is actually um, a, a definitely a combination between like straight plays and dance. Uh, we use a lot of dance type lighting in opera, like side lights and high sides and those same dance plots almost um, because you do want to see the face, but opera is is. I've noticed more about a bigger picture. And like dance, you want to see everything. So with opera, you don't necessarily need what that flesh and pizzazz that you have in musicals. 
um, you're concentrating so much on the dialogue and the technique and what's going on on stage that you don't want to distract with lights. Um, it's the same with straight plays. You, you like, and that's why it's very similar to straight plays. You don't want to distract with lights. You want to add with lights. You want to create and help the story along. That's why as designers, it, it always makes us cringe a little bit when people notice the lights. We're just like, oh, no, that wasn't my intention. <laughs> yeah. I always say that my job is to not be noticed. Like if I do my job right, nobody knows I exist. Nobody knows right. what I do. Right. So if you know a lot about and you base a lot of things on music, do you know how to read music or you go just on listening to the song over and over and feeling the music? Well, I guess um, I know how to read music pretty well, but designers in general, what we're hoping for is that our stage managers really know that music. So then when we, we describe a section that we want that cue to go in, we can just say, okay, it's coming up on this downbeat or uh, on this lyric. And when we say those things, we're hoping that if we don't know how to read music, we're hoping that our stage manager understands that that's going with a moment in the music or an emotional moment with the music on a rise or a build um, so that they're calling it on that feeling. Uh, I mean, that's a personal preference. A lot of designers also like it called on a sp very specific note. <laughs> yeah, I tend to work better with the designers that, like you say, w uh, work more on the feeling or on the, the sound of the music and not on specific um, downbeats, unless it is something that is very a specific downbeat. But the way that they express it to me usually is more of a, more, more of a feeling, but I mean, more or less more of a feeling. Right, and, and it's always different for every show. If you always have it at a very specific point, I find that sometimes the emotion doesn't always line up with the script or the music. And so, yes. you know, the audience is going to feel something never at the right, never at the same time every night. So being able to feel those moments as a stage manager really adds or, you know, helps with the lighting design because as a lighting designer, we are programming that for what we feel in that moment and what our lighting as a character is going through in that moment. Mm -hmm. huh. That makes a lot of sense. Like Cindy's always talking about, yeah, feeling it or the emotion of it. Whereas as a scene change person or a set person, I'm like, there's no emotion to it. Like when the lights go out, move the set. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, it's, it's, it's a skill. I mean, everyone always says, you know, board hopping is the easy job. You know, you just push a button, but it really takes a sense of timing and it takes um, intuition and it's uh, a very underrated skill set. Yeah. I mean, you have to listen to the stage manager and hit the button when they say it, but you still have right. to know what's going on because if you have a bad stage manager, they may not be calling the cue right or they may be <laughs> off on cues or... or <laughs> a good stage manager uh, knows what their board ops tendencies are. So if they have a slight delay in their cue calling, they're going to call that cue, you know, three or four seconds beforehand. Yeah, you've really got to know how everybody's playing or 
which always screws me up. There's a theater that I worked at that they would like rotate through their their board ops sometimes. Like if I had a longer running show, and I'd be like, no, I need the same person on board. And they're like, why? And I'm like, because then I know how to call for them. <laughs> if you like switch it up on one or two nights, you know, it's like the cues are off a little bit sometimes. That's why touring shows are always interesting. You have a different board up every night or different spot ups every night. So you have to learn everyone's tendencies real quick. Yeah, I've never toured. I I try to insist on same spot ups as well for that same reason. Right, to uh, spot ups that go with the tour. Um, Yeah. I feel spot ups is uh, a very underrated job as a lot of crew positions. But if the spot is not exactly where it needs to be, everybody notices. But if the spot does great through the entire show, nobody's paid any attention to it which, you know, happens with sound and everything. But it is really hard when you're 100 or 200 feet away to get this light that they want just on the face to turn on at the exact time and just be on the face. Like, there is a lot of skill that goes into that. Not just anyone can go on spot. Like it's oh, for sure. not super easy. It may sound uh, easy, but it's not. I remember the first show that I had, or Rent, actually, um, we had two spot ops and as a lighting designer, I never found myself in the spot up position too many times. I, you know, I've done electrical work before, but I was never a spot up, but they're, they're very heavy. They're very mm-hmm. hot. And being up in that spot booth or wherever that spot is, is miserable sometimes because you can't go to the bathroom. You can't get up. You can't move <laughs> around. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it it's a very hot. difficult physical it's position loud. to be in. <laughs> and um, the first show that, or rent over at Saban, the first show that I've been calling spots on, I, it was funny. Um, it kind of makes you more aware as a designer, uh, how things on set affect your spot ops because for rent, we had these, um, meta- or like road signs, these reflective road signs, um, just as set dressing a little bit and like, do not cross and, you know, no exit and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't for the life of me figure out why my spot ops were never quite on their people. And so they, I was getting a lot of feedback saying, hey, your spots are never quite on. You know, something's going on. They're just a little bit off. And then I went up there, looked from their position. Those reflective road signs were blinding them, like blinding <laughs> them the entire time. And they never said and, anything? Well, they had mentioned it, but like it wasn't. Until you see it. Yeah, so I just went up there to see what they were talking about. I'm like, I don't understand what you're talking about. They're not like, you know, they're not blinding up here. But, you know, when you think about it, you're driving a car, it's because it's reflecting straight towards you. And so they couldn't see anything on stage. And then, you know, fighting with the scenic designer to get those, you know, tipped down or spray painted or, you know, putting hairspray on them to make them less reflective. I don't think that works with that material, though. I think we had to actually get rid of them. Was it because other lights were hitting them or is it because their spotlights were hitting them? Well, yeah, it was because the spotlights were hitting them. Uh, ah, okay. As soon as the spotlight would hit it, it would reflect all of that beam at them, uh, all, all, of that, um, all of that light directly at them. So they, could, they couldn't see. They just couldn't see anything. Wow. It was cool that you actually went up there and saw what it was they were complaining about. And then you're like, oh, now I know how to fix this problem. Well, I mean, it's, I think as a, in a stage manager position, you kind of have to, if somebody is having an issue with something, you have to understand why. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, that, that was an, fortunately an easy fix, but it just kind of testament to how 
spot up can spot hopping can be difficult depending on you know what your set is what the position of your spot is um you know it's it's also a skill uh that's why a lot of people tend to do gravitate towards spot hopping for shows multiple times like you have people that are almost professional spot ups <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. i have a guy uh when i was at the norris who was really good at it so i was always putting him on it and i'm like i'm sorry if you don't like it but you're the best one here who can do it so you kind of have to stay on it because <laughs> you always hit your marks and you don't complain about everything so you're you're going to be on it <laughs> right so i always say so you work at the malibu playhouse uh as an unstaffed person how did you get to the malibu playhouse and then be lighting designer and uh production manager there that's one of those interesting in the right place in the right time stories. Um, Which is so often in theater. I was oh, going to say, yeah. almost every podcast has at least one of those. I mean, like, that's, well, that's how this business is. There. You just yeah. are in the right place at the right time. And like my professor would always say growing up, he was like, you know, your talent will peter out eventually. Like you'll all plateau into like a great, great designers. Um, and you'll all become equally great. What really tells the difference between a successful designer and, you know, just a freelance designer is, are they in the right place at the right time? Are they friends mm-hmm. with the people that they're in the right place at the right time with? Mm-hmm. Um, so my right place and right time thing uh, was a show I did at Pepperdine that a um, a director for God of Carnage went to see. That was my first show at Malibu Playhouse was God of Carnage with Graham Clifford. Um, and he went to see the show, liked the design. I got hired pretty soon after to design it. Um, and I realized that that theater, so, so Malibu Playhouse has been in and out of escrow for years. Uh, as soon as I started working there, it was for sale. And um, so they, they had a lot of trouble keeping people on and keeping the theater show and seasons consistent because people were nervous about, you know, putting down a foot on a theater that was for sale. So the the building itself was for sale or was it because like the executive board was trying to sell it? uh, The building itself was for sale. So it was owned by a landscaping company for a long time, for years, like 20, 30 years. And uh, originally it was a church. And it's a, it's a beautiful little theater. If anyone gets a chance to go see it, it's Yeah, I can gorgeous. see, looking at the, the pictures, it definitely has a church feel with the bolted <laughs> ceilings yeah. and roundabout seating. Yeah, so, you know, I fell in love with the theater. Uh, it had a lot of really cool people involved, like um, Dick Van Dyke was our artistic director. Um, That's a pretty good so name. So Barbara Streisand. And so it came with a lot of really interesting people. And it was one of those places where, it was small and a lot of people, you know, kind of passed it by and especially tech people because, you know, they don't necessarily hang around in small places, but this, this theater uh, wound up being my gateway to so many things and so many people. I mean, my first show right out the gate was featuring A. Martinez and with Graham Clifford and Nick Stabile and, Kathleen, Kathleen Dunn, it, it was just the audience that came was Dick Van Dyke and 
Oscar Best and so many people that I can't remember now because it was four years ago. Uh, <laughs> well, because you're like right there in there in kind of like Hollywood's hometown. It, yeah, it, uh, it's funny. We uh, just won a Best Live Theater Award in Malibu for this year. Um, and as our, stand, as our resident stand-up comedian would say, uh, we're the only live theater in Malibu. So That's what I was just thinking. I was like, how many are in Malibu? Malibu's not that big of a place. I mean, there's like lots of artists there, but, but um, that yeah, said, congratulations. That's a... <laughs> it means we get so many high-profile people in and out of that space. I mean, the, yeah. the stories I have from being in that space are just insane. Like one night, I will never be and never say I will be a sound person. I refuse to take part in any audio things that require actual skill. Um, because <laughs> I, I don't want to be responsible for that. So yeah. we had this instance where um, some of our sound equipment uh, was, or our um, lavaliers and our receivers were not cascaded properly. Um, they just basically weren't hooked up properly. And me being the person I am said, no, I refuse to fix this because I will just screw it up even more. We need to hire a sound person. Well, we let it slide till it gets really bad. And mid-show, mics just go out. And I'm like, okay, that's, you know, if you don't hire the right people, that, that kind of happens. But mid-show, <laughs> and it, we were at the right show at the right time, before anyone could notice what was going on, because we were in intermission, Jimmy Kimmel's business manager was in the audience with, his, with Jimmy Kimmel's sound engineer. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I bet they noticed. And his daughter is in the show. So he comes back 10, 10 minutes later. It's like all working the best it's ever worked. <laughs> and the show continues. And it's Very just like nice. those sort of things where you just go, you find yourself in so many odd situations. Um, that is so awesome. And awesome situations with awesome people. Uh, that was a more extreme moment. Usually there aren't <laughs> that many dramatic moments at that, that theater. But um getting into it was definitely it was at first a time commitment because it was such a drive um i yeah there's wasn't no sure what it was direct access be. i had to kind of uh fight and um come up with my own job position a little bit so that they understood what was going you know what i was doing for them um and it just kind of it kind of started to feel like a home and then i started investing into things like trying to find clients for them and booking clients for them and almost taking on some not so production manager duties just because it was like a second home. So now uh, recently the playhouse has been sold, officially sold. And we're at a kind of revival process right now because of who it was sold to. Um, I think I could say this now because I think it's public news. Um, Chris Martin from Coldplay bought it. Interesting. And, to keep it as a theater? Yes, to keep it as a theater for the community, which is nice. Um, so now we're on track to doing, doing a lot of really cool stuff. And it's an exciting future for us. But it's been, they- you know, it's been four years with that theater. It was definitely an invaluable space for me to be in. I feel the so same way you- when I work at the Long Beach Playhouse because I've been there for like 10 years and 
most of the time it's just volunteer work, but it's everything from like, oh, you need help building a set or you need to put stamps on envelopes or you need, yeah, anything to help out because it's like a home and everybody is so friendly there and nice and yeah, you put in the extra work for that. Right. And I think it's, you know, it's a good quality to have um, as a person to be able to stick with something for a long time. But the caveat to that is being able to step away when it's time. And uh, as a freelance designer, I think it's important to know that um, not get too comfortable in a place. Definitely build up your clients and, um, you know, regular clients, especially. But staying in one place too long isn't always uh, the best for our careers, especially as designers. Yep. So do you have a hard time designing outside, like taking outside gigs? If you're like, are you expected to be at Malibu Playhouse regular hours if you're a production manager? Or is it kind of easy for you to do? um, Because the theater work from home. Yeah, I can I can work from home from a lot of it. But because the theater was for sale for a long time, the production manager duties were mostly just um, based on what show was coming in that month or um, cleaning the space and just making sure things were kept up to date and, you know, budgets were being met. Um, Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a full-time thing, fortunately, which is one of the only reasons I really stuck with it uh, because I was pursuing a freelance career in Los Angeles as well. And I don't, that's one reason I don't think I could, you know, do a full-time job per se. Um, just because I went to pursue that that freelance that freelance lighting designer dream, it's tough, and you got to go for broke. But yep, you know, constantly looking for new work, constantly looking for new friends, almost. like just meeting people and um, building new connections. Like uh, one thing that I've been really wanting to do here in Los Angeles is just I was talking to you about it briefly a while ago, Stacy. Is that that you know monthly dinner where you just yeah. invite everyone in the industry you know you go out to some restaurant i know in new york they have a chinese dinner where all the broadway designers go every you know every month or so and just meet and greet and i've always wanted something like that here in la where you know we can go and meet each other and you know whether it's designers or directors or actors or, or you know whoever wants to come come yeah, That's a pretty awesome idea. Yeah, no, I've talked to a couple other people about it. Um, once I get through tech of Viet Gone at East West Players, <laughs> I'm going to focus a little more on that. But yeah, I think that would be great because the only way we ever meet people is by doing a show and then you don't see them until you do a show again. But the best way to get jobs to do shows is because a friend recommends you because that's... But- that's how most people get jobs after a couple of years in theaters. So it'd be great if we could just expand those connections, which helps everybody. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot of people right out of school see other designers and other theater technicians and theater workers as competition. They are yeah. not your competition. Mm-hmm. They're, they're your main clients, honestly. Mm-hmm. I get more work from fellow lighting designers than I do from anyone else. Yeah, yeah and I'm, because if you can't take the job, you you recommend it to someone else. That's exactly right. what, what I do on a regular basis. I have like two or three stage managers that I love working with, and I know their schedule almost as well as I know my own schedule, just because we're always in communication. And if I can't take a job, I'm like, oh well, so and so can't because they're on another gig. Oh, but this person's free during this month. 
Yeah, so, and Cindy got a number exactly. of jobs that way too when people couldn't do it and they'd recommend her. Right. Yeah. And so I, my biggest um, push in LA right now is just wanting to know who else, who my colleagues are in this, in this city. Uh, I want to meet people. I want to work with as many people as I can. Um, just because not only do I want to recommend great designers to clients that I appreciate, or clients in general, I want to re- be able to recommend great people, but I also want those people, you know, p- those people tend to return the favor. Mm-hmm. And Very true. Yeah, it's, it's as, as important as keeping up to date and on a friendly terms with directors. Because a lot yes. of times, like, you find people, or when you get into the design world or production management world and you get on a show, I don't know how many times... I've had producers or directors be like, oh, we need a lighting designer. Who do you know? And I'll be like, well, here's the top three or four people I know. And then they're like, oh, great. Uh, our sound designer's gone. I need somebody. Great. Here's a list of the sound designers I know. Uh, and you pass those people along. Yeah. Because I'm like, hey, I like working with them. I want to work with them again. They're good. Let's give them more work. Yeah, I remember actually you had recommended a lot of the people from Tenor by Night as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how we got a... I got Cricket in, which Cindy worked with. Yeah, Cricket and Christian uh, for sound. I brought them in and uh, the projection designer who didn't go all the way through, but Shiva, I brought her in and not that I'd worked with her, but I'd seen some of her work. And so I was like, I liked her work. Let's bring her in. The costume assistant I brought in. So yeah, because you you like their work. You'd like them as Yeah, that was how I was brought on that show as well. Um, Through Becky, the choreographer. Oh, nice. Yeah, I worked with Becky up at Palace Verdes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a small world. Everybody is connected at some point. So yeah, the more we can grow that connection, the better. Right. I was even thinking, you know, your game night, Stacey. Mm-hmm. What's better than playing a board game with a bunch of designers? <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah, at the Tinder by Night cast party, it was you, me, and who else were we? Oh, uh, Katie, who was doing costumes for us at El Portal. We oh, spent right, time right, just right. talking about, hey, have you played this board game? <laughs> but it's just, you know, places to get away and just be friends with other people in this industry. I mean, we're always talking about work and doing work, but, you know, the only times that designers and, and stage crew and uh, stage managers all get to really hang out is after the show at the bar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with whoever came to saw- see that show that night. <laughs> Exactly. Or it was a long tech night. So we went to the bar afterwards. (laughs) Right. And that's a a valuable time as well. I mean, like, like I would never give up that time. I I always take the time to go out and hang out with people afterwards because that's where, that's where their next show happens. That's where your, your uh, trust and your friendships build Mm -hmm. is in those moments, those intimate moments after shows between shows, um, I mean, during shows, we're all, you know, working and focusing our time and energy and other things. The only outside talking is, hey, who needs food and who needs coffee? Okay. One person go get something for everybody. (laughs) Now back to work. I don't know. My love grows exponentially when someone brings me coffee or food. (laughs) (laughs) It's very, very very true. So do that. You know what I found in... in in theater, it's such a common thing that people just buy coffee for each other. And half the time you like don't even ask or you ask once and then you memorize what that person's coffee order is. And then when I work gigs that are like non-theater gigs, like I actually have a, a muggle job where I work at Gap. 
And it's always so weird to me when like people will go out and get coffee and like not offer it to the rest of us in the store. I'm like, I don't understand. Like, how is that even an option? How did you not like, there's five of us working right now. How did three of you get coffee and not ask the other two people? Because it's just so common in theater to be like, everyone's getting coffee. Well, we yeah. gotta look out for each other. You know, that's why everyone always says theater's a family. Yeah. yeah. It's going through long hours and stressful weeks or two at a time. Yeah. Coffee goes a very long way. And it doesn't even need to be like fancy coffee. Like you can get one of those travelers from Starbucks. What is it like 15 bucks and bring it back and it has cream and sugar and everyone's like, oh, thank God, coffee. <laughs> right. That's why it's like rehearsal studios, actors get coffee before show, before rehearsals as well. Yeah. Coffee is nice. <laughs> coffee, coffee is, is love everywhere. in theater. It is. Coffee so is love. Yeah. We just need a, a shirt that says that. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be our new uh, catch line on Twin Stock Theater. Coffee is love, especially tech week. That's true. What shows are you uh, working on now? I mean, I'm sure there's multiples, but what what's kind of coming up or you're in the middle of right now? So I got a, I got a few things coming up right now. Um. I've got a, a show, 20th Century, over at Christian Valley School, uh, Christian Valley High School, I think. And um, that's just a quick quick show. But um, what I'm really prepping for is December, I have uh, a fairly long tour coming up. Um, the National Tour of Evita, which I am um, video designer on uh, for 50 foot led wall Ooh, awesome yeah um and so we're we're in the process right now of choosing content and going over all this content of ava perone it was funny um i was just in a meeting uh i remember the company studio six i think it is they were the same ones that did that advertisement video for tenor by night oh, yeah. uh, we were okay. sitting in their in their studio looking through all this Ava Perone content, trying to figure out what content we wanted to license and buy for this. Um, and our producer walks in like 20 minutes late, Mark Edelman from Theater League, uh, walks in 20 minutes late with this, with this giant suitcase filled with old slides of Ava Perone that had like not been seen. <laughs> I mean like black and white slides, like, not even digital copies. Like they were Where just the raw that? film of Ava Perone. And they had just spent like three months or something like that working on building the content from image searches on the internet and then having all this new content come in. It was, it was a funny moment. <laughs> <laughs> just like their eyes widen and they're like, oh no. <laughs> hours spent <laughs> wasted <laughs> but, but they're but they're doing an excellent job um studio six definitely does a great job with everything and so we're right now we're in the process of just kind of collecting material and building that material and basically my position in this is kind of a final say thing to make sure it works with what's going on on stage obviously our director has um a lot of say in it as well but on the technical side i'm making sure that it's going to work with um, work technically, like making sure that the the screen size, like the doors that we're using for um, the Perone's house, 
is going to be appropriately sized compared to human bodies or that the pixel count is correct on their um, the images that they're giving us. Um, mm -hmm. So it's just being a part of that process is definitely um, important right now early on in the game. That way when we're actually teching it, it's more so just lining it up, placing it and you know, telling the stage manager when to call it. Yeah, any pre-production you can do ahead of time makes Tech Week so much easier. Oh yeah, definitely. And um, especially on a tour like this, uh, where the the challenge in it is that it's going to be a lot of one day, two day shows, and then pack up and leave. So I've got to install this massive you know, LED wall with like six chain motors and, you know, all the rigging involved and the distros and all of that. I have to get it down to under four hours wow. set up completely, um, which is doable. Uh, but just figuring out um, the details on how to make that happen and being as organized as possible on what needs to come first. Um, being yeah. clear on regulations and rules because when you were dealing with rigging and heavy materials like that you need to make sure that whoever's putting up those chain motors is certified and making sure that all the houses are providing certified riggers on site mm -hmm. um and then uh you know just dealing with the packing and loading process in general yeah what gets packed so in first what gets yeah. packed in second because what do you need first out how many people do you need right and you know the first few shows usually are the hardest just because you're kind of figuring that stuff out but it becomes more of a pattern uh later on in the tour and so it's you know i'm not too concerned about it but it's it's mostly just figuring pre-planning on that end of it uh, one of the, the last questions, we're getting a little close to our hour, uh, and I, we always forget to warn people, and I'm pretty sure I forgot to warn you, but we always ask people uh, <laughs> if they have any good twin stories, because as twins, it's exciting to hear other twin stories, because we don't know many twins. So do you have any exciting twin stories in theater, out of theater, people you knew, people you worked with, people you want to work with, someone you dated? Um... It's pretty open. Well, I I do have a lot of twin friends, and it's the usual um, uh, switching places things. But I think once you know them pretty well, like you can tell like immediately who they are. <laughs> so it doesn't always work with me. Um, I, I I guess the funniest one was my sister and I when we were little. We looked identical. I mean, she's like a year and a half younger than me, but we looked identical when we were kids. And so we thought it was always fun to walk through grocery stores with our mom, with our index fingers touching each other. <laughs> we were just, we just walking, and then like we dressed the same way and walked the same way. And we wanted people to think we were conjoined twins, conjoined at the index finger. You know, we're, we're like <laughs> seven, six years old at this point. Like I think she was, yeah, even even younger. So we were little tiny kids. And looking back on it, it would be cute, but also be kind of weird, like, you know, like shining sort of thing. Come play with us. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, I was like, you wore little like blue and white dresses. 
we always thought we were like tricking people like and so like you know people would be like oh look conjoined twins and we're like yes we tricked you (laughs) (laughs) oh that's excellent yeah see everybody wants to be a twin poor people who aren't twins (laughs) true but it's even more frustrating when you aren't a twin and people assume you're a twin because you don't get the psychokinetic superpowers that usual twins do (laughs) i can't read my sister's mind yeah but then you don't also have to shield it when she's really annoyed or sick so that helps (laughs) you don't have to give up your uh, tech time because she's in tech too Yeah, you can tech for a while because I don't have anything going on until mid-January right now. So take all the time you need. Great. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you. You share a single nerve. Yeah. (laughs) If someone gets on your last nerve. That's it. That's it. Both of us are gone. (laughs) Very nice. How can people uh, find you, follow you, look up stuff, hire you? So I have a website, um, www.shareatbobby.com. Okay. And then I also have an Instagram page, Bobby. Uh, all my info is really on the website, and as well as my portfolio and my resume. Um, that's honestly the best way to contact me. Nice. Yeah, it, I was looking at the website. I sent it to Cindy. And uh, yeah, the pictures on the homepage, I just keep cycling through them. They're gorgeous. Oh, thank you. Like, I don't yeah, know. That's why I found out that you are. stage manage. Because Stacey forgot to tell me that you stage manage as well. Yeah, well, I'm also yeah. in tech. <laughs> I, I'm a dabbling stage manager. I would say I'm more of a lighting and projection designer than a stage manager. But See? But you can still talk about them. We can still talk about both because I definitely understand <laughs> and very much respect stage management. Yeah, hard <laughs> job. It is a hard job. And well, I, I keep also- saying if I weren't a stage manager, I want to come back in my next life as a lighting designer. Because I just get along with them so well, and I love doing it. I mean, I just spent my whole morning, like, helping my lighting designer coil cables and clean them. Because, number one, we're in a catacombs in a cemetery. And number two, half of them were outside, so they're all very dirty. But that's what I did all morning, like, coil cables and, like, run cables. And I ran data a few days ago. So I would totally come back as a a lighting designer. (laughs) Nice. I want to come back as a corgi, but slightly different, you know. (laughs) Slightly different. I want to come back as a CEO. Uh, Actually, actually, uh, I want to be an heiress to a fortune. Yeah, (laughs) right. I want to come back with money, and then I can do whatever I want. Exactly. Okay. That's a good plan, too. I like that plan. That's good. Excellent. I think uh, that's about it for time today. Anybody listening, you can find us on, uh, we have a website on Podbean. You can download the podcast from iTunes and uh, Google Play and some other forums, but those are the the main ones. Like us on uh, iTunes, you can definitely rate us on there. Of course, we have Facebook and Instagram and we post things constantly. Still working on Twin to post more about all of her stuff but uh she's getting really good at i don't get reception in catacombs (laughs) minor details but thank you shara for being on the podcast today and we're definitely going to uh be following that 50 foot screen and see see how it turns out on your national tour (laughs) please do thank you (laughs) thanks bye Bye. thank you for listening to today's podcast For more, visit our website at twinstalktheater.podbean.com.
and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at Twinstock Theater. Title music, Dance Macabre, is provided by Kevin McLeod of IncomTech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0.